Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to the show. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm just going to really just kind of cut to the chase. If you've been following me on social media, you know that I completely... uh, Well, I opened up a huge can of worms, like a giant can of worms, like a 55-gallon can, giant, whatever, thing of worms. And so basically what I did is I asked all of you out there about trophy hunting. Are you for it? Are you against it? Do you think it helps with conservation? Do you think, you know, the money goes back into the communities? And I thought maybe I would get a few comments. And anyway, we're nearly at, I guess, currently right now around 70 comments on all of you who are into this. And I love how passionate you are, so I just wanna say thank you so much for all of you who take the time to comment, and a lot of them were giant novel comments, which is great, Uh, so I really, really appreciate it. But, you know, I wanted to have a round table discussion, and this is the first time this has ever happened, and folks, it might be the last. But, so we're gonna gonna see see what happens. But I invited on my friends, two of my favorite people from the animal podcast community, Chris and Angie, the hosts of the very popular All Creatures podcast. Now, they not only are they excellent hosts, but they are scientists. They're actually doctors, which is insane, which I kind of feel weird calling you guys doctors. But I just wanted to have this conversation about trophy hunting. And welcome to the roundtable. Oh, Thanks. thank you, Corbin. It's so great to be back. And interestingly enough, as we're recording this, I just got the official letter that I graduated one or two days ago. So you can actually call me doctor. It is official. Oh my gosh! I'm gonna. Oh, yes. lied to me. I'm she gonna. She lied to me. <laughs> I'm I gonna. She graduated last year. I'm gonna insert applause. My mom actually lost my diploma, which I have no idea where it went. I gave it to her because she's like, "Here's my, you know, safety." Oh thing. no! Yeah. So I have it mounted in my office, but it says like, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it says copy or you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's yeah, so yeah, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your mom let you live with a lot of wild creatures uh, when you were little, so she gets she gets cut some slack for uh, losing a diploma, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. You know, trophy hunting is something Angie and I have, have touched upon a little bit on our news segments. But me personally, it's something I've struggled with the last decade. And teaching, you know, in, in classes at, you know, the University of Florida or at the zoo school there, it's just something that we all struggle with. Uh, so it's not an easy topic. But, you know, I know Angie and I both talked about our approach today and, and we're kind of taking a scientist's view of, of trophy hunting, not our personal view. Sure. Yeah. I think if you let, it's so easy to let your raw emotions dictate how you talk about this and the language you use. And, and I, I love that. That's why I love a lot of the comments, uh, on, on your, on your Facebook page and in general, just the dialogue. But in order, I think, to have a fully roundtable discussion about this without Chris and I, for the record, being experts on conservation biology hunting, right? That's not, mm-hmm. we're, more, we're more physiologists that can right. read and understand literature uh, to, to make sense of it for, uh, you know, for everyone. So with that being said, yeah, it's, it's more, we're going to try to, I tried to find as many studies as I could that would talk about pros and cons. And, and just so your listeners know, for me, generally speaking, where 
since I'm going to try to talk with my head tonight, uh, but my heart <laughs> is similar to Chris's. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, for the record, like, I, I do come from a family of hunters in Michigan, uh, avid deer hunters. I grew up that way, and they're responsible hunters. Of course, they have licenses and a lot of safety training, and they and we grew up eating venison chili, and my grandpa would make venison jerky and a whole bunch of other pretty darn good foods, if you, in my opinion. So that's where we have to separate what type of hunting we're going to be talking about today. And I'll let Chris touch on that because he's such a good, he's such a good educator. He's got all the, he's got all the notes. Uh, So, but yes, I, but when it comes to trophy hunting, obviously like I could never do it. I don't agree with it. Um, and that's my heart. And so, but hopefully the listeners will stay with us today and see what the literature has to say about it and what, you know, what, of course there's tons of cons, like just take a look at Facebook. There's tons of cons, but my, the biggest thing I want to dive into from a scientific point of view is, are there any pros? There you go. And I, this is why I wanted you both on the podcast because I knew you would look into the evidence, you know, being both scientists, that's so funny. Well, it takes a couple hours of like ramping up and like getting yeah. angry and like, yeah. <laughs> getting, you know, getting on all these social media sites and getting kind of a public opinion. And then, then I try to put that aside and then I, uh, I move on to Google Scholar and PubMed and a couple of the, a lot of other places that try to be as peer reviewed as possible. So really what happened is I, I just wanted to have a conversation about trophy hunting and with me. When I envision trophy hunting, I think of Africa. So recently we had, yeah, yeah, we had someone, uh, a gal from Kentucky, kill a giraffe last year, but the photo surfaced in July, this July. And so there's this big outrage. And so I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on trophy hunting. What I basically, it is so incredibly vague. And uh, and several people commented, which I'm so happy you do, all of you, thank you so much. And they kind of corrected me or they kind of said, hey, listen, be more specific. So Chris, let's talk a little bit about trophy hunting. Yeah. So it's, you're right. Like Angie and I, and especially in Africa, it brings up a lot of issues, which hopefully we can get into in this round table. But when you're looking at trophy hunting, you're basically the way we looked at it is you're going out and you're killing the animal for its horns, its tusks, it's, you know, some sort of trophy, a tail, you know, or the skin of the animal, like killing lion, you know, you, you, you don't eat it. You just skin it and take the head home and, and the pelt, and then you stuff it and, and have it as a trophy. Whereas, you know, a lot of other hunters like deer hunting, uh, pheasant hunting, duck hunting, you're going to eat that animal. You're actually hunting for food. And so, you know, take it away, in, you know, indigenous people or, or people that hunt away from food. You know, I would say trophy hunting is more of just killing the animals so you can put it up on the wall. So that can, it does just, it's not just Africa. I mean, I have a study that hopefully we talk about today with bighorn sheep, you know, in the Pacific Northwest and the impacts there in the United States. So, you know, a hunter, it, it can be argued with deer hunting. They're looking for the deer with the biggest rack. And that's kind of a trophy. But on the other hand, that that is somebody that's most likely, you know, using that meat to feed their family. You know, I mean, that's let, let's mm-hmm. call it what it is. I mean, they, they, they want to eat that deer. So, so that is not trophy hunting the way we're approaching it today. Chris has a, probably a few examples outside of Africa, but most of the studies I found were focusing on big game in Africa. Okay. Which like, like you said, that's what tends to circulate or has been circula- circulating recently on some of the social media sites that I've drawn um, a lot of criticism and probably some support 
uh, just depending on what what the, you know what the people think. But I think primarily probably criticism because a yeah. lot of those photos are hard to hard to take. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. I have to say, though, I'm so happy we have social media for this reason. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, pros and cons with social media, but to get people, I f- find it so great that you find people who are just as passionate as we are about animals and wanting to get the message out. Like, I love that about social media. Absolutely. Right. I mean, social media, obviously, it's transformed so many things in the past 10 years. And I think that, honestly, trophy hunting and conservation, the photo tourism in Africa, things like that have been more on display there. And it ha- if it hasn't already changed some, which a study I'll get to will talk about uh, potentially a movement to boycott um, places that are doing trophy hunting mm-hmm. and that that could ultimately, uh, let, me, let me back up, talking about boycotting the ecotourism industry there like so going on safari just to take photos and the what the app like what chris like what us three would do if we went right um spending money eight to ten thousand dollars for a week there per person type deal and so some groups have gotten together and said hey if they're going to trophy hunt whatever animal in this area then we won't we won't go to that area so and all that i'm i'm presuming is from just the outpour of social media, the, the accessibility, like you said, right. of people to have access to, to all this information and more at the touch of their fingertips versus historically where we, you know, we maybe if you caught on the six o'clock news, if it even made it. And yeah. Like, it, would you think 10, 20 years ago, we'd be talking about this? No. And, and, yeah. and at least we're talking about it. That's a good right. Thing. And then, and, Corbin can speak for me. I don't know. He probably, he's so young. He probably doesn't watch. I'm not that. (laughs) (laughs) I almost am 30, Angie. Come on. Give me a break. I had a midlife crisis. Okay. 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 Well, you're probably not the phase in your life where if I get to, if I catch the like world news at 630, I'm like super excited. But it also also means that like my kids are in bed (laughs) or they're with their dad somewhere. So, uh, but, but you, the U S is notoriously not always the best about covering international news. So that's why I, I like to uh, listen to BBC and watch PBS and things like that too. But what what did make international news, be it of course on social media, but then I would say even on the, on the six o'clock television, where some of this stuff took off, I, I don't know, Chris might know the year, but was with the trophy hunting incident that happened with Cecil Lyons. Yeah. Cecil yeah. in 2015. Cecil, yeah. yeah, and I yeah. was going to ask you guys, I feel like that's when it really took off. It sparked it did. worldwide outrage. Out, yeah, just yeah. like, yeah. So, and, yeah, so with, with, with that, it's, uh, you know, and I hope we, you know, we can talk a little bit, like especially when we talk about, you know, the pro- argument as far as how it helps conservation and, and the, the difficulties. Cause when you talk about Africa, you're talking about 57 different governments. Most are either single party or military controlled governments. They're not free democracies like we think of it. Right. So you have 57 different countries with 57 different laws. There's no international law that says you can't kill an endangered species. There isn't, there's treaties and different things in place. So Cecil, you know, in Zimbabwe was baited you know, there was an elephant that had they had killed uh, the week before, so they dragged the elephant uh, near there to lure hunters? Cecil out of the park. So hunters killed the elephant, like trophy hunters killed the elephant, yes, they, and they used the carcass yes. to bait. Oh yep. my god! Okay. Yes, and so 
So the this dentist from the U.S. he paid fifty thousand dollars. He had a permit, so you know it's like all the anger went at him when really it was the the tracker and the hunter or the uh, I guess the trackers the guy he paid to get him there. Anyways, they they get this elephant carcass. It's near the out boundary of the uh, the preserve or reserve where Cecil was at. He, uh, Cecil comes out. They the uh, this dentist shoots him with an arrow. Cecil runs off. He doesn't die till the next day, so he's suffering for this whole time. And they killed him with another arrow. So then they skinned him, took his head. He had a tracking collar. They never found the tracking collar. And then what happened was in Zimbabwe, immediately, like Angie said, tourism drastically decreased to to go see Cecil because he was such a huge draw. And they lost a lot of money. But in the end, Zimbabwe found nothing wrong with what happened. There was no prosecutions or anything like that. He, so they have been studying them, correct, Chris? The Oxford University have been studying him for how many, like Mm -hmm. several years, right? I mean, studying him, he was a prominent part of their study. Yes. Yes. And, you know, Angie has some some stuff talking about what happens when you kill a male lion because they're notorious for infanticide. Thankfully, in this situation, his, I think it was his brother or cousin or another male lion stepped in and did not kill off the cubs. He Mm. actually protected them. So that thankfully, because when you kill off a male lion that has a pride, you pretty much just killed off all those cubs or young, young lions because the next male is going to come in and kill them all. So the females come into heat and they can breed and all that stuff. Yeah, because he has like one, one, one or two years to, to get his genetics in the gene pool and then he's out. You know, the next male lion comes in. So, yeah, that was a big one. That was Cecil was a big one. And now this giraffe has brought it back. Hmm. I, yeah, I just I, I I look like Angie. I was about to cry too. Angie looks it was like yeah. the saddest. <laughs> yeah. No, it's awful. Like I don't even mean to be like. Yeah. It just, I was reading. I was kind of doing research, like you guys, probably not as much. But I was just <laughs> looking at you know Sess of the Lion and just reading the story. It's horrific. Like the yeah. the more the details that go into are horrific. How he was suffering for you know so many hours. I think some people say anywhere from twenty to forty hours. Anyway, it's just insane. How, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, uh, and it's like, you know, you know, and it's so when you go to trophy hunt, I, you know, and that's where I guess the moral or ethics come in. And that's where, you know, Angie and I are trying to take a step back. What does that mean? Well, for Zimbabwe, that meant they lost revenue right off the bat. And then if I'm looking to go somewhere for safari, I'm probably going, you know, Kenya's they don't have trophy hunting there. I'm probably going to go to Kenya. You know, I'm going to spend my money there and, and, you know, go where that isn't supported. But that's my own personal opinion. Is that right? I don't know. I mean, we're going to get to a part where there are some pros. I mean, there are some pros to this. So Right. And yeah. I think we have to – one of the biggest opponents of trophy hunting for um, the governments that support it and the people in the industry that support it and, of course, I'm sure for the hunters that go and do this is the fact that it does generate money. You, you know, you can't deny that. There's definitely – in fact, in Zimbabwe alone, tro- trophy hunting generates – Roughly around 16 million U.S. Really? annually in just Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. I'm so, in Zam- uh, yes, in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Wow! And just out of curiosity, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but what does like photo tourism bring in? Is it a lot more, or is it less than the hunting? So, 
see, you could be a scientist. Good. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I have a <laughs> You guys want to see okay. my, my replica d- uh, degree? My <laughs> yeah, you've got to find that original diploma before I yeah. believe it. So. <laughs> okay. Go to, Angie, go to no Wikipedia. Replica. Everything's, you know, right on there. Uh. <laughs> and it is. There you go. Uh, but yes, no, no, Corbin, but seriously, that, that is exactly what I thought. And I, so, and I started looking into it, okay, if, if money is going, how much, you know, so my questions were, how much money is going towards conservation or the local people thereof are benefiting off, not, not just basically governments lining their pockets. And then with that being said, how much does tourism that you and I and Chris would want to participate and probably a lot of our listeners would, you know, if somebody just handed me a $10,000 check, peace, that's, you would yeah. find me, you would find me, you would find me in, well, first I would go to Lewa and that's in Kenya. <laughs> yeah. And then I would, then I would, uh, hitchhike down to the old, uh, to the, to the, um, to awesome. the Rhino orphanage. Okay. But, but seriously though, so those were my questions, those were my questions and, and stick with us listeners. Cause you know, we, you know, we definitely will get there. I want to, I want to talk about, uh, trophy hunting versus tourism, general general tourism, and the costs. And I actually found a really great opinion piece that was recently published. Uh, now, Grant, that's not facts. So I have another I have another uh, study from 2016 with facts. But the biggest, without that being said, most people typically always just say, "Well, the money doesn't go to conservation, or it does." So it's there's different numbers out there, um, and it, once again, I think the listeners in general, it, Chris already mentioned that there's 57 countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every country is going to be different, and then every species is going to be different as well. So it's not dealing with lion hunting in South Africa is not going to be the same as black rhinos in Namibia or um, you know hippos in Zambia. They're going to start potentially um, calling or trophy hunting some hippos in Zambia, which had been banned for a while, but now they're unbanning it. So it's a different, so that's why it's so complex. Okay. So, yeah. So let me just read you a comment really quick. Okay. Cause I feel like you just, I feel like you just almost answered it. Okay. Are you ready? Oh my goodness. I just Mm -hmm. saw Chris's gif of opening a can of worms on my (laughs) Facebook. It's a big old can of worms. It's a huge can of worms. And it's so funny. So um, so my fiance, Sam, she's on my, my Facebook, whatever, uh, page manager yeah. feed. And so she's at work and gets all these angry comments and like oh, all this stuff. She she's looked a at me. woman she putting looked, up with that. She doesn't look at him. She looked at me last night. She said, what did you do? Like, she's like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. Okay. <clears throat> So I'm going to read you this comment. Our first comment comes from Paul, and Paul actually is the host of the very popular Varmints podcast. Yes, oh, we love, love that. Varmints. Hello, Do you? Paul. Yeah, yes. he's hey, good. I like it. It's good, kid oriented. Yeah. Anyway, he basically said anyone who claims that trophy hunting helps any animal or group of animals or any local economy is full of beep zero respect for trophy hunters. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, yep. Paul. Well, that, and I think that's a that's a very common um, opinion and thought process. And I don't necessarily, I don't think he's wrong. Um, one study showed, for instance, in Zimbabwe, where sixteen they generate sixteen million annually, that about three percent goes locally. 
towards the local communities. Okay. 3%. Well, the study doesn't mention where the other 97% go because what you have to think about is there's a lot going on there. There's other, besides the local communities, there's going to be people that are hired in for like Chris mentioned tracking and people that are hired in for the camp management, people that are hired in for, um, for maybe even lodging. It, so mm-hmm. that's where the numbers are a little, it gets, it gets a little bit tough if they mean like just locals, like giving back to the community and it, or not. And it also doesn't say if it goes back to con- conservation because any way you slice the cheese, um, it, uh, Conservation costs money, period. End of story. In fact, in North America, a lot of the models of hunting were promoted by conservationists to help generate money for the land. I mean, Mm -hmm. traditional hunters, when, like Chris said, for food, they're conservationists. They don't want an animal to be depleted because they they know that it's, it's good to keep an animal around. And so that model in the United States that a lot of us from the U.S. are so mad about what's going on in Africa, for instance, we started it here. I think we just have a lot more checks and balances to where the money does a lot of the money, probably not all of it, but a lot of it does actually go back into the animals. And I think that in a lot of the African countries, and I don't want all of our friends over in Africa, I don't want to point fingers at any certain countries or any certain species or anything like that. So the numbers are really hard to find. So one study in uh, Zambia says 3% local people, but we don't know 97% could be conservation or could not. But in general, uh, for instance, in uh, a pretty thorough study in, in Namibia showed that for both hunting and tourism, okay, so this is revenue generated by both coming in as a trophy hunter or coming in as me, us three with our cameras and our, you know, binoculars, uh, is that it's usually like an, if it's allowed by the government or the agency to do this trophy hunting or or even a safari or whatever, it's like an agreement between the, the conservancy operators and the private owners of the land, be it the government or quote unquote private owners. Okay. And so then the revenue that's generated from that, typically eight to 12% of the total lodge revenue and 30 to 75% of the trophy price, depending on the species will be given back to the conservancy. And then the rest maybe pays other people or pays the actual operators that need to come in there and do that. So that's where the numbers are going to, and this is in Namibia. So other countries are going to do different things. Like, like I said, the number was 3% back to local people. So there's a big difference between local people going back to the conservancy, going to the operators, going to the conservancy. So that's why it gets, it's, it, that's why it gets really complex. But in general for Namibia, for instance, Mm -hmm. their financial reportings is supported by a lot of non-government organizations, NGOs, and is typically thought to be somewhat grounded in the truth and double-checked between hmm. reports from tourism operators and hunting operators. Now, I, have, I actually have a comment from someone who did a study in Namibia, uh, Aaron. Oh, Uh-oh. sweet. Yeah, and okay. she just she just wanted to add her comment. She just said, I just want to add that even though licenses and for these animals are very expensive, governments in Africa are often corrupt, and the money does not go back into the community. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just... Yeah, yeah I, and... I, 
I want to say, just, like, I mean, I, I don't mean to giggle, but it, 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 anybody who's been any amount of time in Africa and any sort of different countries, um, and I've been lucky enough to go twice and hang out with locals that were living there in both Zambia, South Africa, Tanzania. And yes, it is, there's a lot of corruption going on that is very different than uh, in the United States. And Chris, yeah, so, what are you going to say? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, okay, our interview with Allison, and Allison is actually Angie, a uh, really good friend. And Allison was the one doing rhino relocation. And that was a question I asked her. I said, well, what about trophy hunting? And she'd been on the ground. This is somebody that has dedicated her life, like, risked her life watching these rhinos and uh, moving them around Africa. And she said, there are very few places that do it right. She knows of one ranch, and I really wish I could have got the name of it, that actually does work hard. You come in, a lot of that money goes into conservation. But she said, like like Angie just said, there's a lot of corruption, and there, you that money is is go, lining the pockets of the trackers and everybody else. It is not actually going into hunt into conservation. And I think for them to market it, I mean, what a great thing to market now. So I come to Africa, pay $100,000, I take 80000 of it, I throw 2000 towards giraffe conservation, and I could say you killed that giraffe for conservation, you know? I think, it, I think it's just a complete load of crap. Yeah. Like, the, <laughs> like, it's complete. Chris, these animals are, like, yeah. endangered, near extinction. Yeah. Yeah. We should not be. Yeah. What was that? What was the, was it a black rhino that was auctioned okay. off? so. Yeah, so this is the one in, in Namibia that, that Angie was just talking about. So th this made headlines a few years ago. Black Rhino, it was a, it was a, a charity auction in Texas. $350,000, oh this guy God. won it. Now, the thing is, they were going to call this Black Rhino, supposedly. That's you know We have to kind of assume that they were telling us the truth. Not, not the hunter, but the, the Namibian officials. They said this was a problem, Rhino. He was old. He was too aggressive. He was killing off calves and cows. So they were going to have to cull him. And that is a, you know, I'm going to get here until the, the, the elephant thing in South Africa is horrific uh, for me because, you know, I love elephants. But anyway, so this is an animal that's going to be culled. It's going to be killed. Right. And it's run by the Ministry of Environment and Tourism out of there. So they auctioned this off. This gentleman uh, paid it, went and, and took the rhino, brought home the horn, the head, and the meat did go to a local village. It did feed. And that's typically what a lot of these big game hunters do. They donate the meat to a local community. And so that helps feed them. Now, you presume that money went back in, like Angie just said, and laid it out to some of the conservation of this. Now, what I just said, like, you know, it, it, not to be on my high horse, but in South Africa, you know, and... and like when people are, Angie and I was talking about this too, when you're like kind of anti-zoo or, or, or bringing animals under human care. In South Africa, there's really no wild. Like there's no true wild. It's all managed game parks, right? And I remember I had a student from South Africa and she gave a seminar on how they manage their elephant population. So let's say you have a park that can only house 60 elephants. And now you have a herd of 80, 90 elephants. Well, they have to go in and cull out and kill 20 elephants. Now, do you have people come in and pay for that to kill 20 elephants? Well, and this is a whole bigger can of worms that Angie and I kind of opened up last week on our, on our news talk show. They have found that you just can't go in and kill a family member without having huge impacts on 
the behavior and that social structure. So now they have to go in and kill a whole family group, babies and all, because the babies um, that survive this, there are a lot of studies that show these baby elephants like wake up in the middle of the night screaming. They have PTSD. And, you know, the, it's so they have to take out 20, you know, 20 elephants of a whole family. And that is how South Africa is managing their elephants. So it's so complex. And it's right. And in so my ugly. mind, yeah, in my mind, even with the black rhino example, I just go to, OK, there's a bull. He's causing some problems, probably because he's not on enough land, potentially, um, or doesn't have room to do what he's going to do. Yeah. Potentially, as a land manager, conservation manager, you have to call him. That call him. You think that's your only choice? But I would argue, why don't you just relocate him to a different yeah. area? That's my question because I feel like listeners will think just relocate. But then is that going to mess up right. a a a different system though? You know well, what I mean? Is that going to well? And- Right. And and there's a thousand questions to that. And that I would actually have to do research on what some of the answers are for relocation of individuals or depending on the species or family groups. But I think some of the problem potentially is that there is there enough is there places to relocate them to? Are there other parks? And and I think we are starting to see a movement where historical ranges of animals that were wiped out, like so the black rhino used to be super not not in north africa but in zambia and zimbabwe and it was it's just in zambia it was completely you know hunted and poached to extinction there 20 30 40 years ago i can't remember how many how many years ago and so they we are seeing efforts to translocate black rhino white rhino i don't know about elephants to their historic ranges like back into other countries where they are maybe wiped out from because the governments are p- trying to prove that they, that they, you know, for ecotourism reasons, that they want this animal back. In, like in Zambia, they want black rhino back in Zambia. And so they've relocated like 20 to 30 in the past five to 10 years and, uh, and to a park there. And I don't think it's open to the public yet. But that still takes a lot of coordination and a lot of money to move an animal uh, and and to do it well and to do it right. And so millions, I think millions of dollars, I think if the, if the listeners are saying, well, just, they should have just moved the black rhino or they should just relocate the whole elephant family. I agree. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Wholeheartedly. But when it's not about the money, it's about the money. And so, you know, okay. They got $350,000 to, to have this black rhino that they were going to call. And it probably would have cost that much, they got that money towards whatever, allegedly conservation. Um, but if they were going to, oh, hey, he's being he's being a bad boy. We shouldn't move him. It probably would have cost them a hundred grand to move him or whatever. So then they would have gone in the negative, right? So yeah, but this is like a where, critically endangered animal. Like, isn't oh, there I less agree. than like yeah. five thousand left in the wild? Like, what are we? Yes. Are, are you kidding me? Right. Like you're telling, what? <laughs> like, you're telling me you can't like find a home like that, and that's the thing is maybe that's where these conservation type managers or whoever's running the show needs to get a little smart. I bet if they did like a GoFundMe, like, hey, we can either trophy hunt this they bad did. rhino who's they naughty, did. or we can yeah. raise money, or we yeah. can re- raise money to relocate him. I it, would bet ten times the amount they. Made. I bet I would bet they would make a lot more money on. Put you know, translocating to a place where there's more land, but a lot of that you know, there's no really proven model, and so it's 
it, it is. And we also here in the United States, it's hard, you know, it's hard when we don't live overseas. Now, of course, there's tons of tons of uh, Africans that are not fans of trophy hunting as well, probably because they a just with their heart disagree with it and and b because they probably don't you know they don't they haven't seen the economic revenue that allegedly has been they promised. just they just see these big rich american hunters flying over killing the you know what i mean i think that's what they see right you know, you know right well, and, and you're and you're talking you know corbin some of the 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 other stuff some of the other studies and this is at a Dr. Craig Packer, who uh, hopefully soon we'll we'll have him on our show. We're we're talking to him now, so uh, he's pretty well known lion, lion guy, and and he is still in Africa. He should be coming back in the next couple of weeks, uh, finishing up his his studies there. But he's looking at the impacts of trophy hunting on lion and leopards in Tanzania, mm. and he's finding and, Ash, and and Angie's got some really great data too. That she can follow up with me on that. But again, he was talking about, you know, you're killing off the, the pride, the, the, the big, strong, large male lion. That's who they want to kill or, or trophy hunt. And you have all these impacts down there. Now, again, lions are endangered. There's only 24,000 left in the world. And he, in his studies, the parks in Tanzania, he, he, they estimate about need about $600 million per year to keep them up. And a lion hunt in, in his argument at $10,000 is not going to help a that. Drop, it's not a drop in the bucket, right? Yeah, yeah. And I haven't even million. touched about the... Wow. Yeah, I haven't even touched about the, 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 the South Africa. I don't even know if we have time. But hunting lions podcast. in South Africa, yeah, it's it's all canned hunts. These are hand-raised lions that people hand-raise. They throw out there and they shoot them. So that's different, I guess, different discussion for a different day. But Angie, you had some, some data as far as, like, you know, you kill one lion per 2,000 kilometers or something just to be sustainable. Right. I think a healthy debate using scientific data is what we need because all of us on social media, I'd love us with our hearts and making comments and stuff like that. But that yeah, money talks be, be a, you know, what's the saying? Anyways, money talks. And so I think that that's where there needs to be more studies to try to help guide the people that are making the bigger decisions overseas, whether it's NGOs or government officials. And there are scientists that are really trying to do that and look at it from a a very kind of open-minded point of view. Because just a spoiler alert, when I was looking through all the data, I found studies that said, oh, trophy hunting makes money. Yay for conservation. And I found studies that said, oh, not really. Not if you really look at the data hard. Of course, different species, different countries. But I definitely didn't find any studies that demonstrated the key number one thing that I feel in my heart, not even not using my brain, is does trophy hunter hunting generate increased population numbers for these endangered species? Mm. Hmm. And I cannot find a study anywhere that says, oh, yes, after three years of trophy hunting out the, the big two or three big males, we actually saw a population rise. I, I haven't found, and now they find me that study because at the end of the day, I am not a fan of, any, you know, I, I don't hunt. I'm not a fan of any type of hunting for myself. Just no fan of trumpet trophy hunting, but I guess if there's some way you could tell, show me numbers that trophy hunting uh, a giraffe 
actually increases giraffe populations down the down the line. Or let's what? say black rhino. Black rhino is yeah. even more critically endangered. If we call or we, we trophy hunt five or six of these guys, all this money, I don't care about the money. I care, like, are the numbers of animals being – is the population growing? And I couldn't find that data anywhere. Well, now, it might be out there, and if anybody listening has that data, please please let me know. Yeah, yeah, I would like to see it. I have the, I have the, I have the giraffe hunter right now on line two. Should we take it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but – okay, so one study, um, Scott Creel out of uh, Montana State yeah. University – Looking at lions, because lions is a big one, especially after Cecil and whatnot. Uh, he basically looked at lion populations in Zimbabwe, Zambia, and a few other African nations that alleged they had sustainable takes. And he concluded that generally across the board, limits need to be much, much stricter than they already are, okay, for populations not to, you know, continue to decline. But his formula, looking at certain models and I would, I'm sure if I had his model, I'd find a lot of flaw in it because that's <laughs> what I do as a scientist. But yeah. the model that he had basically predicted that if he proposed allowing, potentially allowing, killing one male lion at least seven years or older per 2,000 square kilometers range for three, so one male, 2,000 square kilometers for three years in a row followed by three years of recovery. So his, now, I, like I said, I don't, I don't know if what his model took into, like all that did take into, did his model include climate change and droughts and I don't know, or disease, things like that. I, I don't know if it included, what all included, but even still, if his model is semi-accurate, what is happening now is in most countries that allow line hunts, be it canned or trophy or whatever, are way above, way high. They're they're taking way more animals than that. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I I, I want to say something. Um, I feel like an average American, maybe who's not really into animals or doesn't have, let's say, our expertise. I feel like you would think like Africa's full of lions, full of rhinos, full of yeah. wildlife. I mean, and you would. And I feel like they think the continent is just, you know, this great, you know, we watch National Geographic and, oh, that's how yeah. Africa is and everyone's happy and running around. And it's not like that. Like no. fewer than no. 24,000 lions, they are on, I mean, what, in, in a few years, I think they're going to be extinct. I mean, we shouldn't even be. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Sure. So, yeah. so the, num the, the numbers that I found is lions and their habitat have decreased over 70%, decreased over 70%. In the past few decades, so 20, 20 ish plus years. Oh my God. And I think the other, you know, aspect as a scientist is, you know, that, that Angie and I always, you know, we think about is genetics, right? Mm -hmm. In Tanzania, I know there's a lot of inbreeding depression in lions, and that's something I want to talk to Dr. Packer about when I get to interview him. But like just this one study, like I, to bring it back to, the, to North America, you know, it's a Coltman study in nature. You know, Angie and I always talk about it's like one of the best scientific publications there are. Uh, it was about uh, 15 years ago, it showed that bighorn sheep, when a hunter goes to kill a bighorn sheep, he wants the biggest, best rack to put on his wall. No one wants, you know what, a two-point deer on their wall. You walk in, you're like, what is that? You know, it's a jackalope. That's what it looks like, right? <laughs> and that is coming soon in the podcast. We're going to do the jackalope. Oh, and so, I cannot wait. <laughs> and the unicorn. That's you a strange animal. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and the unicorns. Yeah, these are. Well, we did the, we recently we recently did do the Asian unicorn, so yes. look for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, 
Do they need to have me on the Strange Animals podcast? So we'll do that one. But you know, so so you go out, you you, you shoot the the biggest, baddest, you know, male. And in this study, it was it was bighorn sheep, and those tend to be not always, but tend to be the most genetically fit. Not always the biggest, but they're they're the ones that are the healthiest. So you start taking those genetics out of the gene pool, and, and they notice now these rams are actually smaller. The offspring, and when they grow up, their horns are smaller. So you're taking out important genetic traits on these animals. Again, in Africa, just with the poaching crisis with elephants, now elephants' tusks aren't as long as they used to be. And a lot of them don't even grow tusks now because those genetics are taken out of the gene pool. Hmm. So when you talk about critically endangered species, yeah, some people say, oh, like, you know, going off on the next thing, like this giraffe, oh, his, his genetics were overrepresented. He was older male. Okay. If you can prove to me and show me that that money went to help other giraffes, I would be okay with it. Um, but, you know, until then, when there's no transparency, I think it, I think a lot of people are making a lot of money in Africa that a lot of this money isn't going into the people, uh, the locals and conservation. I think until they start proving it, we have to be skeptical. Right. And so like the study out of um, Namibia in 2016, uh, a group of researchers, interestingly enough, from the WWF, World Wildlife Fund, um, got together and wanted to look at the pros and cons, basically the benefits of Corbin to get to finally answer the question that you asked yeah. initially <laughs> about which makes more money. Right. The yeah. Uh, tourism, us snapping photos and drinking our, um, oh, geez, what's the beer down there called? Tusker. Um, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, Tusker, okay. right? <laughs> Good, thank you for that. Um, us drinking our, like, that money versus the money from, you know, the dentist coming in, right, and dropping dropping a lot of money. So they looked, uh, the, pa the paper was published in Conservation Biology in 2016. This is one of the more of the current papers I could find. And they did a very, very thorough um investigation and looked at it, at it from a lot of different angles to see which is better, right? Tourism or hunting financially. Now, once again, as far as, I'm, as far as I can tell, nobody's ever looked at do populations actually increase. Increase, yep. Because you can throw all the money you want in making your conservation parks sparkle and bedazzle and have nice roads, but not that they're doing that. For the record, you need an off-road jeep. <laughs> but now that they're doing that, but it, I don't care. It doesn't matter how much money you put into it if the populations aren't sustainable and growing. Okay, so but so the paper doesn't go over that. The paper just looks at the money. So let's talk money. And what they found by they looked at uh, in Namibia because interestingly enough, Namibia does it does have what, as Chris mentioned more fiscal transparency than probably some other countries. I'll just, I, I'm not educated enough on which countries have what transparency, but these authors claim that in Namibia, between non NGOs um, and other reporting agencies, that they could find a, the trail of money, allegedly. And so they looked at hunting and tourism benefits and operations from 77 communal conservancies in Namibia from 1998 to 2013. So in science, we like to talk about numbers. Is it a short mm -hmm. study or a long study? What, what you're in? How, how much did you look at? And this one blows a lot of other studies out of the water as far as the amount of operations they looked at in the years and whatnot. And so anyways, long story short, what they found, and this is, I think, for lots of species. Now, I don't, they didn't 
report, at least from what I read, if it was endangered or not endangered species. But I'm going to assume probably there was probably some endangered species in there, but I don't know that a fact. So for the authors out there, please, I apologize if I'm misquoting you. But they found that the major benefits for hunting were generated in the first, like quickly. Okay. So the first three years you open up trophy hunting, bada bing, bada boom, you got that dentist coming in and you know, you, you got, you get a lot of money quickly, right. Mm-hmm. So to potentially like start your program out or to get a surge of money that obviously once again, should be noted that most of these countries are not very well developed, excluding South Africa are not super well developed in our uh, their GDP in general is a lot lower than most well-developed countries like United States or New Zealand, too. So or there's, Idaho. <laughs> all right, all right. All right. <laughs> so, they're, so they're struggling. That's what I'm talking about. That's the point. Just get it. Yes, a lot of these countries can't feed their people as a lot of their people as well. Okay? Plenty of potatoes so, in Idaho, Angie. Right, <laughs> right, right, yeah. So so that's a different story for a different day. But they did, they did find that trophy – the authors found that trophy hunting did benefit early on. And that tourism, us with cameras, benefited, it took about three years to really start recouping and getting financial benefits from the tourism. So it's a slower start. So if you don't have any money to begin with, doing just ecotourism is a little tough to get your feet underneath you or get the park established or get maybe animals in there or whatever it is. Um, And then they also found if we are thinking about the people, which I know for us animal people, sometimes it's hard to be like, I, oh my gosh, if there's like a spider in my house, I will like let it outside. Yeah. But like yeah. people, unless you're like my family or my kids, I don't, I'm not super, <laughs> I'm not super sensitive to human needs, which I'm working on that. But anyways, so, but they, looking at it from a people's perspective, they did find out that the benefits of hunting versus tourism are, they, they benefit different types of people, different uh, different industries, if you will, right? Like tourism is more lodge and locals where you buy trinkets and stuff where, um, where hunting is going to be, um, car rentals, airplanes, maybe some more of the big business, but then they, but they generate often sometimes more money. So more money can theoretically be put back into the park. So the authors basically that are, you know, very brilliant people basically said that they summarize that they they believe that there's a that they're not mutually mutually exclusive. Right. That in Namibia, when you're looking at just the money, that the pro of trophy hunting is that alongside ecotourism, it probably can work potentially yeah. Yeah. for for money. And this is just for money. This is not necessarily for like quote-unquote, increasing population. Sustainable. Yeah, sustainability. sustainability. And the other thing that people that are, people are going to think I'm so, like, pro, <laughs> pro uh, trophy hunting. I'm not. But no, I'm looking, no. at, you know, looking at the data or whatever, the other thing people need to consider is that in Africa, there's a big debate in many, many, a lot of the land. Do we use this land for farming to feed our people and make money, or do we use this land for conservation? So I think the point of this article is also trying to show, too, that you can make if, – if your government or private owners or whatever are choosing to not use it as agricultural lands, that – and they use them as just parks or reserves or conservancies, mm-hmm. that 
that you can generate money. And at these authors conclude from their data that the best way to make the most money is to include both trophy hunting, obviously I'm sure with what is deemed to be sustainable levels, which there's no, I think we've all, we've concluded there's not a lot of data on what is sustainable. Um, and tourism. Yeah. Um, It's uh, go ahead. Corbett. I was going to say like my data, you know, tourism in sub-Saharan Africa in 2015 was generated almost $25 billion. And so some of the pro arguments for trophy hunting, because I know we're, we're coming in on an hour, so we probably got to start wrapping this up. What? <laughs> no, we'd be, we'd be, we could we, do this for Chris, six hours. we need like, more than an hour to solve all the world's problems. I know. <laughs> you should, Corbin, you don't know I have to deal with Angie. I'm like, Angie. It's two hours. You gotta stop. You gotta- <laughs> he like gets the coat hanger. I see. I see the coat hanger on Skype, and I'm like, oh, okay. okay. It's funny because like we even before we started recording, Angie, you were going into this giant tangent. I said, Angie, <laughs> I said we have to save it. Save it. The- save it. We have to save it for the show. It. I love it. Save it. I love you. Yeah, I love the- your the- tangents. Like Corbin, the Sala this week. You know, S A O L A. There is no data. On the Sala. There's like barely anything, but oh, of course, we filled an hour and a half talking about the Sala with Angie. It was just like, oh, and this we and know, that. Well, I told we know nothing story. about the Sala. I told some funny, a few funny stories. I, you know, I almost died once from an Arabian orc. Somehow yes. that made it on there. So it was great. Um, it was great. It was a funny story. But, but yeah, yeah, it was. Okay, really quick. I'm sorry. I'm a listener. Uh, a Sala, is that what you guys said? A Sala, correct? Yeah. Sala. An antelope S O W L A. Okay. It's the Asian unicorn. There may be 25 left. There could be a few uh, hundred 25 left. 25 to a couple hundred. They, they, don't want, they don't know. They haven't seen any on a camera track since 2013. Okay, I'm definitely yeah. checking out this week's podcast. Oh, yes. No, it's, it's, um, uh, yeah, a, a new one. It'll already be out. So we have our episode of just the, the hour of us talking. <laughs> Pretty much me just talking about whatever. <laughs> of, uh, of Saula, the species. And then we also have an incredible interview with Dr. Barney Long yeah. out of um, the, well, he's global with the Saula working global. group, but he's the uh, species director for global conservation wildlife. And he used to work for WW Wild F and he's like the Asian species guru guy. So the interview with him and the work that they're doing to try to save, uh, basically the Saula is the equivalent of the vaquita right now. Okay. The, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, okay. really, really interesting stories. Uh, inter- well, not interesting, like amazing, yeah. awesome conservation happening over in Vietnam and Laos, trying to save this pretty decent sized hoofstock. You know, pretty decent right. sized antelope-like animal that's gorgeous and stunning. So check out that interview if you haven't. You will learn a lot. This guy is is um, so knowledgeable. He lived yeah. overseas for a long time, and he he really gets um, he really gets the the whole complexity where I yeah. I get kind of turned off and frustrated by the complexity and that's why I have to like go to numbers and scientific data where he's more like oh okay let me figure each one of these pieces of the puzzle out and that's how we're gonna save this animal yeah yeah it's good oh, it's good nice. yeah, yeah and I would just you know and I would just say Corbin like especially to any listeners that you know either support trophy hunting or do want to do trophy hunting I just back it up like do your research do your homework. Find out where the money's going. If it really does go to conserve that species, make sure you know. Just don't take it for, oh, I'm going to go to Africa and kill a lion, and my money, because it's a very expensive trip, is going to go to help save lions. I would challenge them. Where does that money go? How does it help? Sure. And 
you know, there it's it's very complex, and there is a lot that conservation experts need to come together with. So we find a happy medium because banning trophy hunting isn't going to be isn't going to help Africa, you know, and it's not going to help conservation. But on the other hand, just having an open season in Africa is going to drive a lot of these species to extinction. I just think quickly. as humans, we have a moral obligation. I mean, are you kidding me? These yeah. animals are like endangered. I, know. I mean, I just, I know. It, I, I know that we have to look at the, we have to look at the facts and we have to, I I'd still. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I can't believe, I, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion you don't kill any endangered species like Iceland and whaling right now and the fin whale. The fin whale is endangered. You know, yeah. and they're killing off 250 of them this year, and that is horrific. Sure. That's horrific. Yeah, you and be killing any endangered species. Period. But if you know, if if we need to kill this one to save these 20, it's 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 a tough. It's tough. Like well, I, said, I, I struggle with yeah, it. Yeah, and I think and I think one of the things like what can a listener do that is passionate about. Uh, you know, banning trophy hunting or not supporting trophy hunting, which we obviously saw a lot of a lot of that in your feedback. I'm one of those people. Um, I think what you can do is you can potentially vote with your dollar. So not probably not a lot of our listeners are able to have the eight to 10 grand to drop to go on safari. But if you I are don't. a listener or know a listener that can do that. <laughs> I don't, Angie. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm sure, but also I'm sure with, with social media now, um, you can find out what's um, you know, even what tour agencies support this and you could probably send letters. I, I would, I always like to be, you know, use education and things like that, but you could, you could say like, Oh, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to support this. I'm gonna tell my friends not to go there. Um, I was thinking about planning my dream wedding there, but now I'm not going to, cause you guys support X, Y, and Z things like that. I mean, I feel like there's movements that you can do to help show your support for, banning trophy hunting or minimizing it. And, and in the meantime, hopefully the scientists out there and the economic people that understand numbers and statisticians can help look into the numbers to really see what is going on here and then potentially show the governments like, hey, okay, yeah, maybe with trophy hunting and Namibia, you generate money faster the first three years, but it's not as sustainable or you're not going to, well, then there aren't going to be any black rhino. So it's better to go with the slower model of, um, the slower model of tourism. And, or for instance, there was a great opinion piece, uh, that just came out, I think today, I think I, I tagged, tagged, yes. um, both you guys on the link about in South Africa. Is it South Africa? Let me find yeah, it. It's South Africa. Okay. That, um, that they are going to allow leopard hunting. And there's a wonderful opinion piece by Simon Epsley. I'm probably saying that wrong because I say everything wrong and pronounce it wrong. But he's the CEO, I can say this right, of African Africa Geographic. And he has a great opinion piece. He actually did. Now, it's not a peer-reviewed article, so I will have to, I have to premise it with that. But he basically did the financial breakdown of trophy hunting in Africa for these, quote-unquote, seven. So they are going to allow seven leopards to be um, to be trophy hunted at a certain price, I forget what the price is this year, which historically leopard hunting trophy hunting was banned because data had shown that populations were declining. The leopard is following a very eerily similar trend as the lion, huge um, but un- 
the law, the uh, leopard is listed as vulnerable by the IUCN, but they don't have the population counts the way that they do for lions, probably because they're more elusive. So it's, I mean, their numbers could be even lower than they think. And so it was banned for a while, but now South Africa is bringing it back, right? And bringing it back with seven of them. Well, this Simon does a great job of saying, uh, doing a financial comparison of at what point do hunting leopards start to lose money for the South African economy, okay? So at what point, if people, quote unquote, banned going on their tour to South Africa and went to Kenya or somewhere else, it would only take, financially, he did the mathematics, it, he guesstimates it would only take 21 canceled photography safaris to basically hurt these seven, seven leopards and and then they'd be losing money. Yeah, so like if they go and, and kill these seven, by word of mouth... By word of mouth... More, if, more if, than 21 people are going to cancel their vacations to South Africa and, and that's, go to Kenya. And, and, there, yeah. and, therefore, and therefore, it'll be like neutral, like nothing. You just killed an endangered or vulnerable yeah. anim animals. But of course, if more people are, are not, it's going to have more of an impact. Oh, with I social, mean, the social media app. I mean, it was all, it was that, that article was all over my, my Facebook feed. Yeah, so, so I, I think in, in, you know, just kind of wrap up my final opinion, too, is the economics. It's, it, it's not, it, it can help, uh, is what I'm hearing, you know, from some of the studies, but it cannot supplant ecotourism. That should be the model. Maybe, you know, some of these very remote areas where they go and tourists don't and can hunt some of these species that aren't endangered. Uh, maybe that's the model we need to go to rather than, you know, it, it's like the Wild West. I mean, it's 57 different countries. So you can't and we can't, you know, here we are Americans. We can't go and say, hey, you need to do this. And in, in yeah, that but, never works. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think as conservation officials and, and experts and us influencing people using our influence that, like Angie said, okay, we won't go to South Africa. We'll go to Kenya. Kenya has a ban on trophy hunting. So let's let's prop up that that model. Mm -hmm. Botswana has a ban that's been in, in, like, I hear Botswana doing great things, but now they're thinking about lifting it. Right. You know? Well, that's right. lovely. So it's, <laughs> Do we have any more right, positive? Do we have any more positive topics know. to talk oh, about today? It's, it's, uh, you know, and it, uh, yeah, it that's is like the news. It's an so hard. <laughs> I know it is. It's an ongoing. It's because I think it's because it's so complex too. Like there's so many. It's not just like one company making money. I mean, there's all these different players at hand that could potentially be lying in their pockets. Uh, and we haven't even touched on the fact of like. Um, if any of these body parts or trophies then go into the black market, feeding oh. that, um, that's a whole different podcast for a different day, but that's potential, right? Then you're just feeding, you know, more into the black market. And so I don't know. I, I just think that a study in 2013, so this is, this is dated, um, basically looking at the lion issues out of Tanzania and trophy hunting uh, kind of concluded that the only way trophy hunting could potentially be beneficial to lion conservation, so I, I assume that means increasing their numbers, mm -hmm. um, and is where the revenues and then the user rights over wildlife are devoted to ensuring the benefits from lion hunting through compensating costs to other local people. And so hunting has to be managed long term and actually follow scientific data. And that's what mm -hmm. I like, like how, like what you both brought up. Like you just need to see the data. I mean that you really need to see it. Like mm -hmm. once you see something to where, yes, trophy hunting is increasing the population numbers. Yeah. I mean like that is something I'm happy you brought up. 
I'm really, really right. And I, as did. far as I can tell, I hope I would love somebody to email us and show show um, us an article, and then we could talk about that. But as far as I know, I in in South Africa with big game that's endangered, I have yet to see that article. So yeah. most of the articles talk about revenue, which is a good start, but in in the end, if the money's not actually making, even if you put all the money back into conservation, and the like, Chris said the populations are bottlenecked, or their genetics have been ruined because you're taking out the most successful males, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you put into it. So, I, I think that that's you know, in me, that's kind of that's uh, the bigger picture thing. Is like, I, yeah, I would follow the data, and we need more data um, mm-hmm. from good from good scientists and good you know good government agencies and people like that and. The other thing I'd like to challenge the listeners with, and we could we'll t- we could talk about more uh, more on a if if Corbin's so nice to ever invite us back. <laughs> yeah, I know, Part I know. two of the very you know uh, uplifting podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no, yeah, it could be. And if the listeners bring up a lot of good issues, I mean, we'll be more than happy to come yeah, back and, and, and talk. And, and by the way, yeah, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm trying to make light of this because I know it is no, a very. No. This isn't the most uplifting topic, but I have to say something. I'm happy that we're all able to have a conversation as a community, and I'm happy there's people yes. engaging. So that's what I'm trying to get at. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, great. And that's, and that's where and that's where it is a step in the right direction. If you can't engage in civil discourse on any topic and you, and you just let your emotions get to you, I mean it, it is hard. You just spin your wheels. And which sometimes feels good to be, you know, ah about something. Uh, I'm right there with you. But in the same instance, I think we need policy and action. And in the interim, if you are very passionate about this topic, which I'm sure many listeners are. I do think that there's things you can do at home, probably from your computer or in your local. Like if you're at a university, you could maybe you could maybe have like a discussion group with a wildlife club, or um, you could talk talk with people. I mean, talk have have civil discourse with people that are pro hunting, and and you're going to have some insight on maybe. You know, I don't necessarily know anybody. I don't have anybody in my circle, obviously, that's pro <laughs> trophy hunting. I was going to say, yeah. I was actually um, thinking about, I mean, because I feel like I need to see both sides of this argument. I was thinking about contacting yeah. an organization. I don't know if I could, I don't know, I'd be probably biting yeah, my that's tongue. Good. Well, oh. you know, then why don't you do the interview, Chris? <laughs> no, no, I, I got to I, got to ask Allison, like, which, where did she see in Africa? Because I know she said there was a place. And sure. When I, and, and, that, and Chris, that could be a very... how is that benefiting? Yeah. yeah, that could be a very good line to follow. I, I That's personally, the model we Because right? I come from a family of hunters of, you know, overpopulated deer populations in Michigan, I, I can have really good civil discourse, even though we totally disagree on, like, I don't want to do that and I don't think you should do that, uh, on, on why and what it helps. And so I think there probably are people potentially in definitely in North America that are at least pro hunting non-endangered species or species quote unquote on the fence, like, uh, wolves and bears. That's a very touchy subject here, as you know, very well, uh, the different podcasts for a different day, but having conversations with some of those people might, if, if you did want to educate yourself more on trophy hunting over Africa, that might be a way to potentially start. But I, on the other hand, I mean, I think that's a great way to go and to educate yourself, but then I, you know, I also like to see the data and I yeah. just don't think Right now, the data is not there to support trophy hunting and dangerous species oh. in Africa, period. End of story. Mm. Case yeah. closed. You can just put that in the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. And then- oh, that's good. <laughs> I mean, it save people an hour and eight minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But I do think the other thing, though, I have, I always, you know me, I always have a dot, 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 dot. Um, yeah. my, my 
clause with that, though, is just to get people thinking beyond trophy hunting, which is, of course, outlandish and dis- despicable, in my opinion. But we have bigger fish to fry, my friends, over in Africa as far as conservation is concerned. And that includes habitat loss, pop- uh, population fragmentation, climate change, and uh, poaching. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, I, mm. I, I don't want to say like this conversation is a moot point because there's, there's really bigger issues, <laughs> bigger issues. but in the same instance, when there are lots of things, there's lots more podcasts we can do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, you combine it all right. And, and exactly. these animals, these species are struggling. And so it's, it's not, that's why it's not so clear cut. You just can't say, well, we're going to do this. That's what everybody wants. We want the, the, the easy answer. And it's not, well, and then it's, the other, the it's other 10 other, different things. Yeah. And is one of those things. Tidbit to chew on that. I talked with Chris and we, we won't go into it. Uh, we'll, we'll leave the listeners wondering what our opinion is, but <laughs> I asked Chris, I said, okay, obviously we feel this way about endangered animals in Africa, but should there should it be okay to hunt or trophy hunt, whatever you want to call it? Um, zebra, the common zebra, not the grubbies, yeah. not the grubbies. They're endangered. I will come get you if you do that. I will as long as as long as you, you do not, if you, as long as you do not shoot a honey badger, well, you can't because they're too tough. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, good luck finding one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So, I mean, the, yeah. that's you know, that's a whole nother can of worms. Yeah. Okay, what yeah. what about? There are certain, very few, but there are populations yeah. of of bigger of animals or certain gazelles and antelope, not a lot of them, right? Not a lot of them, but there are certain populations that are quote unquote, uh, not of concern by the IUCN. Stable. They're stable. They're stable. They're, they're stable. And there is an excellent, that's so funny that, well, it's not funny you brought it up, but I was thinking about zebras too. There is an excellent documentary by Derek and Beverly Jobert, the National Geographic uh, filmmakers and yeah. residents. They've been doing it for so many, so many years. It's an excellent documentary. Give me one second. Um, where they document uh, this great zebra migration, this and that, and they followed this animal through the migration. And then at the very end of the film, a trophy hunter comes, kills the main animal, and mm. uh, they skin it. And in a matter of less than an hour, the vultures came in, ate the carcass, and there was nothing left of this animal. Yeah. And they oh, just. Oh, that's le- heartbreaking, dude. Yeah, I'm and they, they left now. it. No, Thanks, and, no. <laughs> <laughs> zebras are like her babies. <laughs> no, it better it better have been a common zebra, not it a grubby was, zebra. No, I'll, it was. I'll help and break it. It was, but it was the saddest thing because that was no, all I that know. was left no. of this magnificent stallion, right? I mean, it was just beautiful it, animal. Yeah, it was just I couldn't yeah. even believe it. There was just nothing but just dust, and that was it. Uh, and, yeah. and, and and they took off. Yeah, and and, and, and it was completely legal. Uh, and so there anyway. Check out the documentary. Wow. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. You'll have to send us a link, or we'll put it on some show notes or something. I would, because it is. I mean, and I think that there's so there's so many different sides of the stories and different ways to look at it, and that's where I would suggest somebody who is pro uh, trophy hunting maybe watch that documentary to understand mm-hmm. the, the zebra, and then he had a life and a and a family group and intelligence and social dynamics and behaviors. And he was complex. And then in the same, in the same accord, I would suggest to somebody who's anti-trophy hunting to potentially read up on some studies. We can put one in the show notes that the one in Namibia that suggests that maybe if it's 
done right, maybe um, trophy hunting in tandem with ecotourism in Namibia could be done to benefit money, which potentially the numbers still need to be shown, but then could benefit animals. So, you know, to try to just, because it is, these international issues are just so, so complex. And, um, you know, I, I think that they, that people have a gut instinct in there and that's not wrong. I think it's just, it, it helps if you know more of how to help back your argument up and then not even forget about arguing. What do we do about it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We you know, can't, it, can't it, vote with our that, dollar. That's it. That's right. That's, about. that's, yeah. you know, that's where social media can come in handy and Facebook and, and talking to friends and, um, and the next, the generation, you, you know, the younger generation like you, Corbin, um, <laughs> I'm so t- So now you're I, the other day, Angie tells me she wasn't even born in 1992. And now all of a sudden, she's the I, old lady I and Corbin's the youngest. Yes, I'm 89. No, yeah. I can't even believe it. Someone said that to me yesterday. So I am, this is so sidetracked. Well, I am raising money for the Peregrine Fund, one of the greatest conservation oh, yes. organizations in the oh, world. Yes, they're, they're- Amazing. Oh, they're amazing, yeah. right? And so we have this meeting, and I am going to be the MC of this art auction to raise money. And like the the, the whole um, oh, what is the guy who does it? The um, oh my goodness, I can't even believe I just oh my god, completely the auctioneer. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole auctioneer walked yeah, yeah. in. He's like, so where's yeah. the MC? And I'm like, it's me. And anyway, like, <laughs> he's like, how old are you? He's like, what high school did you graduate from? <laughs> Oh man! Well, I'll tell you, I I I think you have a wonderful baby face. Thank I you. think it's fantastic. But if you did, uh, if you did want to look older, which is goofy because uh, oh, most boys oh. want to look younger. My husband, when he first started teaching at his zoo yeah. school, he grew a beard. Okay. So this is as far as I would... can go. I haven't shaved oh, it since oh. we last talked. <laughs> oh, okay. That's not an option for you then. <laughs> guys it's really not looking good uh no but seriously thank you to so much just for taking the time uh just to go over this i learned so much as a listener i'm just like i i I learned so much i took a lot away from this let's look at the facts i'm happy we were able to see both sides i don't think i'm ever going to be able to see like completely down the middle of this i agree yeah i I agree but i'm happy we're able to have a sound conversation Yes, yes. And, uh, and, and you know, show the pro- evidence. That's where that's progress starts. Yeah. It doesn't start. You know, that's the thing is heated debates or trolling yeah. or nasty comments. That doesn't really get anywhere. You got to start with sound conversation and then work towards solutions or what you can do with whatever side you're on. Yeah, please don't yep. be a troll. I'm looking at a few of them right no. now. <laughs> I know, I know. You just want to, like, get that little... Is- this is what we do in science. We debate. You know, we debate, we debate, we debate. Right, and then I don't come think to consensus, you know, and then we debate more. Yeah, you know, and I don't think, unfortunately, even if even with all the top scientists in the world studying population dynamics of ecotourism versus trophy hunting versus the economics or whatever, I don't think we would have an answer by like next Tuesday. No way. It, it would take. It's going to take a while, and people have to be a little patient and potentially stay open-minded or work on the solution that they believe in the most. And and then and also education. That's the thing is, that's what all three of us are doing, and I'm proud of us for doing it, even if it's an uncomfortable subject like this one. Is trying to educate ourselves and then share what we learn with other people to help broaden, uh, you know, broaden other people's perspectives. Right. Right. 
There you go. Education's power. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Where can listeners find you? All Creatures Podcast, right? Subscribe. Allcreaturespod.com, at allcreaturespod on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. You can follow us, Angie. Yeah, Yeah, no, definitely do all that. Like us on Facebook. I actually have a a bone to pick with you. Why did uh it take you so long to accept my friend request on Facebook? This is ridiculous, (laughs) Angie. I mean, Who, me? On. No, oh, Angie. Oh, Chris yeah, yeah, yeah. was Chris was immediate. It was almost a little too sudden, but no, Angie was. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Corbin, she's like it's making my... me wait. You know, here's the deal. A number one, always make him wait. Okay. <laughs> it's like high school all over again. She's just Go. a man, man. I'm telling you. B number two, live off screen, my friends. Go I out guess. to nature. Yes, there you go. There you go. Yes, you go. There yes, you go. Uh, <laughs> and also, I, I always, I, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, so I blame them. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys yeah. so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having uh, us. Thank, thank you. you. Hopefully, you'll invite us back if we weren't if we were on good behavior. Of so. course, you guys are doing good. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.